Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 57, and joining me on today's show is Dr. Kate Shanahan, and we're going to be discussing the silent epidemic which is affecting all of us right now. Dr. Kate Shanahan is a board of certified family physicians and is a New York Times best-selling author of The Fat Burn Fix, Deep Nutrition and Food Rules. Her expertise is in reversing disease by fixing the underlying problems that cause metabolic damage and inflammation leading to autoimmunity, weight gain, diabetes, cancer and the accelerating aging process her passion is helping people feel their best hi dr kate thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today how are you i'm good thanks between patients <laughs> coronavirus, yeah. right always uh, yeah. somebody texted me first thing in the morning i got an email at midnight and <laughs> wow. then it's gonna be more back to more patients all day Wow. So it must be a pretty intense time for you then, right? Now. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so are you working in the traditional, because obviously your, your health service is very different to ours. So you're working in the big hospital to, hospitals in Florida or how, how, what's your kind of day to day? I have a unique job. I'm hired directly by a company. So I'm the company doctor and I was hired in order to get everybody who was a diabetic to not be a diabetic and get everybody with metabolic disease to take their health seriously. Right. Um, so kind of like a uh, concierge corporate for the corporation really. Um, mm -hmm. And I do mostly remote work by phone because the company has locations all over the state of Florida. So um, now though, it's been converted into trying to help cope with this, all the rules around coronavirus and it's much more about the rules than the coronavirus itself because, yeah um, you know the majority of people who have tested positive here are have no symptoms right. and just tested because um someone else was sick and that they were contacted to in contact with and um you know then we have to keep healthy people out of work and it's really difficult <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's yeah i mean i think we talked a little bit about before we were recording around um the way that it's being controlled and the way that it's being portrayed. And I think that's a whole other podcast that we could probably disappear <laughs> off down a rabbit hole in, but yeah, it's, it is, it is a crazy thing, but that, I mean, that, that's an interesting position that you have in an, in terms of a corporation that have recognized and realized that they need to do something about their employees health. Is that a, a trend that's happening in the U S or is this very, a very unique situation? It's a unique situation. It's not a trend. It should be a trend. It would save a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it would. It definitely would save a lot of money for the NHS in this country as well. Yeah. So, and by the way, if anybody wants help doing that, I'm available. <laughs> Defer consultation <laughs> because I can tell you what you need to do. Right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I thought you would have been busy enough already. <laughs> well, this will be over soon. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. Let's fingers crossed. So, for for people that haven't uh, come across you before. 
Can you get a bit of uh, background into Dr. K and how you've come to, to where you're at today and obviously share the, you know, the other side of, 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 of your profession in terms of book writing and all that kind of thing? Sure. I'm a family medicine doctor, but I'm sort of a nutrition or I'm, a, I'm now a nutrition geek, but I've always been just <laughs> a chemistry geek. I really loved biochemistry. And um, I, I went through uh, training at Cornell in biochemistry before deciding I really wanted to just be a doctor instead of spend my life in a lab doing um, basically yeah. genetically modified organism research. Right. And so um, I uh, went uh, th- through medical schools, four years here, residency is an additional three years here, and that's all after college, and then uh, started working and um, ended up in Hawaii uh, a couple years out of training, and shortly after that, I ended up getting really sick with something that had no explanation. Uh, I couldn't walk. I had been an athlete. Actually, I went to college on a, a track scholarship. And, right. um, I, I couldn't walk, so it was devastating wow. and I, uh, you know, tried everything getting better, including surgery and didn't work. And it wasn't until, um, my husband who was always kind of into cooking and always kind of raised eyebrows over the amount of sugar I would eat on a daily basis <laughs> right. said, you know what, I'm not really impressed by your diet. Like maybe there's something diet wise you can do. And, um, that was what threw me into this whole different world of mm. realizing that there is a lot more diet wise that I could do. And, and that I, I really had no clue what a healthy diet was. You know, you go through medical school and you think because yeah. you've studied so hard and learned so much, um, we actually do learn a ton of nutrition. Yeah. What we don't learn, you know, we le- nutrition, if you look up the definition they always, they always kind of bash doctors saying we don't learn any nutrition. What's the definition yeah. of nutrition? Well, it's, it's how, um, it's how nutrients become you basically. Well, we study that right. we study cell physiology. We study, um, all kinds of, uh, aspects of that, but what we don't study is a healthy diet, right? So right. we just kind of regurgitate, uh, the same things, the same basic five principles that everybody grows up hearing. We just, we just like repeat them and we get this pseudoscience to support them. So, um, I had, once I started looking into, um, really the chemistry of fats is kind of what did it for me. Mm -hmm. I I realized that everything I had learned about fats was wrong. And then actually turned out the other four things that I learned about nutrition were also wrong. And so, um, and I changed all that stuff. And then I did finally get better. So for me, it wasn't about weight. It was about um, health. It turns out my immune system was really not working well. I had like a viral infection or something going on right. in my knee. And it, that was what was keeping me from walking. And I have to keep it under control on a daily basis still, right? It's okay. not like it's ever going to go away. So I, yeah. I always have to be good with my diet. And I've had, this is almost 20 years now. Right. But um, so that was my story. And it was... Um, a radical change in my practice of medicine, I basically became um, incompatible with standard hospital practice yeah. <laughs> because in, in a standard uh, hospital system, which is for profit here in this country, they want right. primary care doctors to be too busy to be effective at all. And they right. also want primary care doctors and everyone else dishing out completely 
um, you know, the five things that we do learn about nutrition uh, or diet, I should really say, are um, are exactly backwards. And I, 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 I kind of am starting to think it's, you know, on it's not by accident that these right. that the diet advice that we get. Um, you know, to watch our salt and avoid fat and think of all yeah. fats as equal um, is is driving us towards processed food. I don't yeah. think that's an accident anymore. I, I, I have looked at the history of this enough and there's collude, there's there's a reason that the American Heart Association um, exists and it has to do with now with funding. They couldn't exist right. without funding. Back in the 1940s when they started, they uh, didn't have any funding. And then they, they decided, well, we'd like some more money. And it was easy to get. Um, and they started, they, their first infusion was like several million dollars from Procter & Gamble, which right. makes vegetable oils and hydrogenated vegetable oils. And yeah. so that was kind of the beginning of the end of any, uh, any kind of valid... Uh, uh, nutrition education mm. in this country because um, long story short, uh, it took about maybe 10, 20 years for um, for doctors who really were more interested in promoting their own careers to yeah. basically become the mouthpieces of Procter & Gamble and like organizations. And so they uh, wormed their way into the hallowed halls of education and academia and Harvard now Tufts and, um, you know, Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, everybody, they all just yeah. pair the same, you know, the same five things. And, and everybody who looks at it seriously, who has the training and background, uh, realizes, oh, this is just wrong. And it's yeah. really a strange uh, place to find yourself as a doctor because um, now you're going up against your own colleagues who mm -hmm. are telling that maybe sometimes your patients when you're on vacation yeah. or on holiday, as you say over there, yeah. and they're, you know, they're, they're telling your patients, Oh no, no, you should be watching your saturated fat. You should be watching your cholesterol. But, um, so it's, it's really, a um, a strain on a doctor working in the system. And, um, that's why I had to leave. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and to be honest, I don't blame you. And, and for me, who's coming from a non completely non-medical background but obviously with with the, the the kind of your book and other people that are in the industry that have come out and spoken out like uh dr mccola and 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 some other people that we've already mentioned you know what what i can't get my head around and perhaps this might be around the conspiracy side of things is that for me now, and unless I'm, I'm too immersed in this, there are enough qualified, credible people talking about the fact that the model we follow as a society, whether that's the US or the UK, from a from a, a food and nutrition standpoint, is broken. It's broken beyond belief because it's not just from a um, a kind of a health and fixed standpoint, but from a food industry standpoint. Um, you know, and, and once you have the, the the awareness around this, just the sugar and the fat element, if you just take those two things, for me, is just so massive. It's just so ingrained in our society. And like you say, you know, the the the, the low fat, you know, watch your cholesterol and all that low sugar stuff. It's just, you know, how can we possibly have a big enough voice to change that? And where do you think 
that can really start? Well, that's a big question, but I, I think maybe the best place um, is to just start with um, our mindset, right? Because um, yeah. you ha- in order to, for me to get into this, I didn't realize what nutrition really was, what it really right. could potentially do. And that's why I ended up writing my our first book, Deep Nutrition, because we're showing people the power. First of all, we're showing people what actual real nutrition is. And yep. secondly, and it's not, you know, low fat <laughs> at no. all by any means. It's certainly not plant strong for the most part. Although, you know, if people want to go that that route that's you know their choice i'm i I don't have any objections to that other than i just think one there's a lot of a lot more difficulty when you try to do that to get enough protein but um that aside um i think that the the reason that i wrote deep nutrition is to show that it goes way beyond your weight right i I think now doctors and uh your average person but you know also the doctor um kind of ignores people who are normal weight, but may have serious health conditions like um, autoimmune diseases or cancer or like um, memory problems or neurodegenerative. So we kind of ignore the possibility that diet could have anything to do with that. Or in my case, you know, immune system stuff. Um, We kind of ignore the possibility if we're normal weight, which I was, um, that diet could help. And um, it's totally... Uh, missing a huge opportunity to make people healthy, but we're on our own. Like it, as far as like your, your question of like, Oh, the system's really dysfunctional. Mm. I, I think in terms of it, it depends who you, who you, who you, who the, you think the system serves because right. if you think the system serves um, the individual uh, healthcare consumer. I think you need to open your eyes because that it's, it's not, uh, and maybe it was originally sold. We are we're all sold a bill of goods about that's what it's supposed to be for. And maybe, you know, in some um, halcyon days gone by, it actually was. But in, in America, it's always been run by business. Healthcare has yeah. always been a for-profit industry for the most part, um, mm-hmm. you know, except for some um, church-based hospitals. Uh, but then they have their yeah. own conflicts of interest there as well. Uh, but, um, so, um, so yeah, so the, the mindset really, and the opening your eyes to what nutrition can do, and especially when you consider what can it do for your children who, um, you know, since you have a dad podcast, (laughs) I would imagine a lot of your audience has children and the earlier you start getting, uh, the excess sugar out of your child's bodies, and even more important than the sugar is getting the seed oils out of our children's children's bodies. Because we talk about fat almost like there's only one kind of fat. And if Mm -hmm. we avoid it or eat it, we're good, right? There's the low fat people want to avoid fat and the high fat people want to eat more fat. But what matters is not the amount, but the kind of fat. And that's why in uh, Deep Nutrition and the Fat Burn Fix, I describe the the vast, incredible amount of 
damage and inflammation you're going to experience if you're mm. consuming soy, sunflower, canola, corn, and these things are in everything. Like in yeah. America, I don't know what it's like over there, but most yeah. restaurants will serve them to you, pizza joints, um, most takeout places, um, and uh, even like supposedly healthy foods like salad yeah. dressing and peanut butter or stuff like that. Yeah. You're, you're going to find these oils added to, to those foods and um, it's uh, it's it's quite the eye opener once you start looking, and yes. yeah, and so uh, you know people can feel overwhelmed too. But what that really means is that explains what you start to to do is you find that anywhere from for the average person anyway, thirty to fifty percent of their daily calories was coming from one of these seed oils, yeah. and that means that thirty to fifty percent of your daily calories was in effect, just they're making you sicker. So imagine how much better you can feel if you start eating natural, healthy fats that weren't made in factories. And that is, uh, that are, you know, capable of making you so healthy. It's what your body wants. They're life-giving. Yeah. Yeah, I I think for me, um, my kind of approach now, particularly with my children is that, so I, I was, getting a you know probably about a, six months ago very frustrated around the fact of why we're continuing down this road and and kind of why it's so ingrained um in the food chain if you like the sugars and the fats and the approach that i've now taken is that that's not necessarily going to change in decades but and but what i feel that can help and what can change and that's education and education at the children's level so you know getting the kids to understand that you know what's in food what's bad about food what's good about food what what we need what we don't need and I think if we approach it from an education standpoint that is going to start to help I don't think it's the ultimate fix but it is going to start to help the children make informed decisions um around what foods they have and how they consume and and, you know just to touch on a couple of points when you talk about you know the um the american health system is obviously for profit whilst the uk system isn't for profit you know it's 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 run by the government and funded by the government i strongly believe that there is a huge element of pharmaceuticals involved in the incentivization of drugs and all the rest of it in you know our health system and you know i don't we we cannot continue in this country to grow the nhs to grow the health service as amazing as it is in the way that it is by just continually throwing money at it because then they were now talking like obesity is about something like 33 percent of people that go and see the nhs or go through the nhs system is because of obesity and if you dial that back to what i just said you know if people are educated or if people understand what's what's good and what's bad it's not a case of stopping having stuff it's having it in a different way and understanding what it does i think that that for me and it'd be good to get your thoughts on that you know that is the way that i think we have to start approaching it yes uh, so the the problem is that the oils make folks so the the soy the the, the corn the canola the seed oils yeah um, 
these are full of inflammatory poly. The term for the kind of fat is polyunsaturated fat. So yep. since we've all been told that saturated fat is unhealthy, we've been eating more and more of these. And in this country, um, we we used to get something like two to four percent of our total calories from polyunsaturated fats, and now it's something right. like twenty to thirty percent just from the polyunsaturated fat part of the seed oils. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's the problem is that we're consuming these things because what they do actually, and I talk about this in the fat burn fix, is they make us sugar addicts because they yeah. they prevent our bodies from being able to get energy from our body fat. So the more of these seed oils that we consume, the more we become uh, in need of a quick fix and the yep. more that we go after basically junk food, uh, whether or yep. not, you know, sold as, as junk food, um, it is junk food. And so, we, yeah. you know, we have to become more aware of what really is it that makes junk food junk food. So a lot of people think they're having some kind of a protein bar um, or, yeah. you know, a healthy um uh, uh, like milk substitute or yeah. like a vegan burger or something yeah. like that. Um, chances are there's a seed oil in the the food bar or the vegan burger, um, you know, and definitely in the salad dressing, like I mentioned. So yeah. these things, they with this effect on our bodies where they make us sugar addicts over time, mm by building up in our body fat to the extent that we can't get energy from our body fat. That's how they work their black magic, these um, yeah. seed oils that I, I, I call them dark calories sometimes because right. um, nobody pays attention to them and they, they do work this black magic in our body, yeah. uh, making it so that when our cells try to burn our body fat, they suffer with inflammation and mm -hmm. that then they can't get energy efficiently. So they, they give up really yeah. on using fat and the cells have to get energy, you know, somewhere else to survive. And the only other alternative that's always available to them is sugar because we always have some in our bloodstream. Yeah. And so over time we become um, insulin resistant because of that, then we become pre-diabetic, then we become diabetic. So you cited like 33% obesity. I think if you count ob obesity and overweight together in America, it's like in the eighties in adults. Wow. Um, yeah. And, but if you, if you look at, um, diabetes and pre-diabetes also in America, it's at least 50% in adults. And if you include insulin resistance, it's probably also very close to what the overweight and obesity rates are. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just the weight that's a problem. It's the kind of fat that you store because that fat, if it's full of these seed oils, if that's what's been in your diet and in this country, it almost always has, then you are on your way to developing diabetes. And it's not just a destination, right? Like type two diabetes. And that's the only kind of diabetes I'm talking about. I should clarify, right? I'm yeah. not talking about type one. Yeah. Um, it's a totally different disease, but type two diabetes is not something that you, um, you suddenly wake up one day and have, 
and now you have to take medications for it. If, yeah. if you've developed type two diabetes, you've been sick for decades and um, it's just been overlooked because doctors also don't learn how to diagnose this condition called insulin resistance. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the only reason that we know the prevalence rates is because of specific studies that were done. Um, you know, when they do studies on it, they find that most people are actually already insulin resistant yeah. as adults. So, mm-hmm. so, and that's a serious metabolic problem yeah. that, um, that it, yes, it's related to weight because when you have this metabolic problem, you need sugar much more often, mm-hmm. uh, you crave sugar. Um, it's almost impossible to use willpower to resist these kinds yeah. of cravings where your energy is low and you brain fog. So you want something with, that's going to raise your blood sugar, whether it's sweets or just starchy carbs. But yeah. in, in that scenario, you're going to gain weight eventually, but it's, it's not the, the driving factor. We always talk about it as willpower, but that's a, that's also a blaming the victim kind of mentality. It's not yeah. lack of willpower for most of the weight that we gain. Sure. There's some, there's some element of that, but most of the weight that we gain is, um, is invisible overeating because we're driven towards carbohydrates and sugars um, for energy, it's, it's yeah. no amount of willpower when our cells are craving energy and literally will die. Our brain cells do die. If we have a really bad hypoglycemic episode, you can get small spots in your brain so that right. when you do a brain scan, um, you actually see tiny, tiny little strokes that you've had. Um, a lot of people uh-huh. have migraines. That's the only yep. symptom that they have. Um, yep. And they, they think, oh, it's just a headache, but um, it can actually be truly a, such a severe energy deficit that they have a small, tiny little stroke. Um, so, but that's what's driving people to eat more. It's not mm. a sudden deficit of willpower. And certainly the fact that we have, I'm not saying that, you know, oh, um, we don't have an obesogenic environment. Of course we do. We have yeah. that too. But if we just had you know, if we had the same foods laying around us, but instead of being made out of seed oils, they were made out of actual natural fats. Yeah. They, even though they'd actually probably taste better, we wouldn't have such a hard time resisting them because we cannot, we just physically cannot resist um, eating something if our brain is telling us that it, it needs energy. That's yeah. called hypoglycemia. And a lot of people are diagnosed with hypoglycemia and told that they need to snack. And that's exactly the worst possible thing, advice we could be giving because wow. the more they snack, the more they're just going to be getting more yeah. of the seed oils and, and sugar, of course, right? And so they're just going to be gaining weight eventually. Yeah. And I, th- and I think, you know, you mentioned there about vegan and protein and stuff like that. And I think that's another hidden real risk for people because you know when people actually start to take the action to say right I'm going to change my diet I'm going to start to eat healthily and so as consumers we're sold to by the food companies with the packaging in terms of you know it might say zero fat or be good to yourself or or the biggest thing now is particularly in the UK is protein is everywhere protein is in Snickers in Mars bars you know and and people then get taken off or down another path where they think that because it says protein on it or because it's vegan, it's healthy. Where in actual fact, it can be just as unhealthy or just 
you know, as bad as all the processed foods that we you know, we've talked about because of the oils and stuff that they put in these foods and the replacement sugars to still make them taste nice. Um, so I think that that's a, a very real risk for people. And obviously that will come, we'll come on to this, to the four pillars in a moment. But the other thing, um, Kate, I wanted to mention to you is that particularly with children, I noticed this for um, kids at my son's schools, there is an increasing amount of diagnosis for children that have got ADHD and ADD. And I truly believe that, and I've not had it proven, but I believe it's down to their diets. You know, kids are becoming hyperactive. You know, they, they, they don't have concentration and stuff like that. And okay, they may not have chocolate in their lunch boxes and stuff like this, but I can bet your bottom dollar they've got a load of other processed foods which are not doing, you know, any good to to their guts when you know you've got the gut brain connection the inflammatory stuff that goes up into the brain and things like that so what's what, what's your kind of view on that side of things i think that we should be doing iq tests and if we had been doing iq tests i think we would be seeing a decline um right. there's no possible way children can be building healthy brains on um the kind of foods that they grow up eating you know the yeah. majority Right. If we're eating processed everything, um, we are we're not we're just not getting enough nutrition. And right. um, it, it, there's uh, so much um, that in, that we take for granted in terms of, you know, a healthy. What is a healthy baby? Ten fingers, mm. ten toes. OK, yeah. so even if they're born, you know, premature or they have feeding problems and breathing problems, um even if the formula that they get causes skin problems or allergies or whatever, we, we don't see that as a serious problem indicating that this child is extremely malnourished um, or has the potential to be because uh, they are when they do studies on pregnant women and their diets in America, Mm -hmm. um, any given nutrition, there's nobody that's a hundred percent, uh, I'm sorry, there's no um, any vitamin or mineral that they study uh, in terms of, um, you know, pregnant women, are they getting enough? It always says no, always. Right. Like there's always a certain portion of the population and usually it's high, like 20 to 50% that are not getting enough of any given vitamin. So when you look at all the vitamins, absolutely nobody almost is getting enough of all of them unless they're following like unless they're aware of somebody who i think um doctors all should know about this is west weston a price um and we can talk about that in a minute um yeah but uh you know there's a tiny minority of people who are diving into what true nutrition is <laughs> taking a deep dive into nutrition yeah. so maybe segueing to the book, but, um, uh, you know, those people do get good nutrition for their babies and they're giving their children the best chance. But again, you know, it's, I don't also want to cross, come across like I'm, I'm blaming parents. I didn't know I was a doctor. I didn't know what real nutrition was for myself. Um, and so of course I don't expect parents to know, but I do hope that, um, they have, the the interest in learning what real nutrition is and the power that it has not just to revolutionize their own health but 
to give their children a fighting chance. I mean, I, 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 we talk about, when we talk about it with adults, we talk about biohacking and optimizing. Um, but the sad fact is that, uh, because we've so done such a bad job with nutrition, uh, the, the current generation of children being born is pre-programmed to get diabetes type two, uh, at a much higher rate. They're genetically epigenetically really pre-programmed for that so they have they're walking a tightrope mm. um, in a way that the human race has really never experienced before um, and it's so much more important for this generation that's been born in the past 20 years to optimize their diet yeah to be able to function normally right it's it's yeah. it's like the bar has been so low for so long on what health is and a healthy diet that we've produced generation after generation of people who are less healthy and have a lesser capacity for longevity and athleticism and um, fertility and, you know, terrifyingly, perhaps even intelligence, you know, I mean, if, what does it mean that we have all these children with autism and ADD Mm -hmm. and, mood disorders and learning disorders well i mean take a look at the big picture what do you think it means yeah. maybe we're having our average iq is no longer a hundred like it used to be right like yeah. who knows but no one's looking into this and um as, in the big picture kind of way no one's got like the uh, the guts really to ask these questions because um the results might be just too terrifying to talk about yeah, I mean, like, like you say, you know, that, that could open up a whole can of worms. And I'm not sure if this is in your book, but I think I, I read somewhere around the, the study that was done in 1952 around um, saturated fats and how um, I think it was the US government knew that the doctor that had come up with this was incorrect, but they actually still carried on going down the path of recommended you should stay away from, from saturated fats. So, you know, it's unfortunately... It, whether or not it's a government, um, you know, it's still run by humans and, and, and humans can still get things wrong or choose to carry on down a path that they know is not correct. And to try and reverse that now, you know, to try and reverse, you know, particularly on the, this whole saturated fat thing is, is, is going to, it's going to take lifetimes for it to, to happen because, you know, when I talk to people about the fact that you need saturated fats and I have saturated fat in my diet, you get a horrified look from people right. yeah um you know particularly people my, my parents age are in their 70s so the baby boomers because that was drilled into them right we've been so programmed but you know you earlier you said you know let's start with the younger generations and re-educate yeah. them that's exactly how we, how we got into this mess I'm, i mean that's that is the solution right but as far as um getting this belief system that we now have in place um, they, they just kept repeating it until the younger generation of doctors, starting with like my, my dad is also a doctor, starting right. with my dad in the 70s. He, he just got it drilled into him. He never really learned the alternative view. So back, it's true, in the 50s, doctors were skeptical of this. And, and they mm. just, uh, you know, the, um, the uh, Madison Avenue and the people who own giant corporations have a long enough uh, view uh, 
uh, a lot of time, <laughs> they're going to be wrong forever. So they're like, well, okay, well, let's just keep drilling this message home. And eventually doctors will essentially grow up learning this stuff. And so that's part of why they stick it on cereal boxes. And, yeah. you know, it's part of the benefit of having commercials of, oh, uh, Cheerios is going to lower your cholesterol. That sent the message to that you know seven year old who's sitting there watching the TV show with their dad that lo- that cholesterol is bad, and so mm. that's exactly what they did. And so now we're in a situation where if you want to undo it, then we uh, like you said the the most effective way to do it is um, that slow motion. Just let's just repeat the facts, but mm. unfortunately. The, the there's it's not like it i mean it's it's had a cost it's exacted a toll already and so here we are now with this altered state of being human where it's normal i mean if 80 80 something percent of adults are obese or overweight and the same percentage of them have a metabolic disruption called insulin resistance it's now normal to be unhealthy and yeah. how can we possibly expect that kind of, um, you know, um, if our adults are unhealthy, how can we expect our children to come out healthy yeah. if we're not yeah. making ourselves healthy and we're doing the same stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. They lead by example, right? A, a very simple, you know, very simple point that they just follow their, their example. And, and we've set a very bad, poor example and continue to do so. So in your book, obviously, Deep Nutrition, you talk about the four pillars. So can we go through what what the four pillars are and exactly what they mean and, and kind of how you came about the four pillars? Yeah, I came about it because uh, once I realized that everything I had learned about diet in medical school, the five things were wrong. So it's basically, um, you know, I learned fat makes you fat, cholesterol clogs your arteries, um, salt is uh, causing hypertension. Uh, you should eat often, you know, to rate, to regulate your blood sugar, right? You need to eat small meals and athletes especially need to consume a lot of carbohydrates. So those five things are all wrong. So once I uh, swallowed that bitter pill, I uh, was like, okay, well, how do we figure out what people really do need to eat? And I was fortunate to come across a book called nutrition and physical degeneration written by somebody who asked the same question, but right. long enough ago um, that he could actually travel the world to isolated groups of people who had not been influenced by any kind of commercialism um, or factory refining of food and who lived basically yeah. the way people had always done, which is to say self-sufficiently off the land. Very simple. Right. And and he uh, that what the book um, that he wrote, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration is his book. Um he says is that uh, people are not supposed to get cancer. People are not supposed to be susceptible to so many infections. We're actually supposed to have nearly, you know, perfect teeth and perfect vision. We're not even, even just the idea that wearing glasses is just like, oh, well, it's bad luck. No, actually it's a result of malnutrition of some sort. Um, So that like kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, um, wow, we really need a lot more nutrition because he described in his book the extreme labor that was involved in, well, I mean, it wasn't really hard labor, but it was just thought process, the extremely deep thinking that went into 
how are we going to live off the land? How are we going to fortify the soil? How are we going to make sure that our animals are healthy? How are we going to keep our children as healthy as possible? Because if you have a child, you know, a hundred years ago and they don't have straight teeth, well, they could die because there were no such thing as antibiotics and crooked teeth get infected with abscesses and abscesses become sepsis and sepsis is, is fatal. So, you know, people took health uh, and preventative nutrition really much, much more seriously. They understood the profound uh, importance of it in a way that is absent from our society. And so what my husband and I did was we said, okay, well, this is a really great book, but it doesn't really tell you, you know, what is a healthy diet because the people um, that he studied um, in the 11 societies he went to were all over the globe and they had radically different diets. So one was like the, the, you know, the Inuit up in Canada where it was mostly meat, very few vegetables. Um, one was, uh, one group was the Maasai in Africa where, uh, it was all animal based, but it was mostly milk and blood and, right. uh, <laughs> right. So radically different and strange. Yeah. And then he went to the Hawaii where there was just a ton of fish and all different kinds of animals. And even though they had access, you know, they could have grown a lot of vegetables. It wasn't a huge, huge part of their diet. Um, yeah. It, it, among the healthiest people, right? And and um, it seems as though, so what my husband and I started noticing was a pattern of, um, well, it seems as though where you get people who come away from the abundance of their ecosystem, the first thing that goes away is the animal products and they start relying more on farming and their own vegetables that they can grow. And in our case, in um, Western civilization, and actually in a lot of the world, it be- it became starchy stuff. So in Asia, they started eating more rice. And in uh, the, a lot of the Western part of the world, they, we started eating more wheat-based products. And it's not that rice and wheat are toxic. It's just that they, they displace um, healthier, h- higher nutrition foods, um, right. except when uh, the farmers paid just meticulous attention to the health of the soil. So in places like Scotland, where oats were actually a huge part, a relatively huge part of the diet, um, Dr. Price, who wrote the book, found that the, um, the oats that they grew in Scotland had massive amounts of minerals and much more right. were much more nutritious than the oats that were growing in America. So they were effectively a radically, even though we call them both oats, they were radically different foods. And so then to write deep nutrition, what my husband and I did was we said, okay, well, is there anything that everywhere that price went um, did that was common to all, all those 11 places and beyond that, um, was there any anything that everybody everywhere did? And um, we found that there were four things. And these things became uh, the four pillars of the human diet, which we describe right. as um, uh, essential. Like there are actually strategies. It's not like it's food, like an apple. It's a strategy. So yeah. there's four of them, right? So these strategies are you eat fresh food. And that's one. Yep. When you have a lot of fresh food um, and you need to store it, well, then you ferment it. Or right. in the case of a seed, to make it more nutritious, um, seeds naturally store well. But when you want to wake them up, you you sprout them. So the second yep. pillar, the second pillar is fermented and sprouted. And then the third okay. is um, 
what we call meat on the bone. Um, So we use the skin when we cook meat, we use the bone and all the joints and um, the fat and it makes it the most tender, juicy, delicious. And it gives us more than just protein. It also helps to build our connective tissue, which is uh, the determining factor of our longevity. If we have healthy connective tissue, we can feel young even when we're old for a lot longer. Um, yeah. And then the fourth pillar is um, nobody's favorite, but uh, it's it's the most kind of like exotic um, is the organ meats, right? So this is right. where we the nose to tail eating um, idea that's coming back a little bit. Um, yeah. It's uh, including all the parts of the animal because that's actually what people really went after in a lot of ways in a lot of um, uh, places where they were very very meat heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. The humans ate a lot more of the organs than their pets. And they would give uh, in, in um, the in Canada, the Inuit they uh, and the other Eskimos studied up there. They would feed their the tenderloin and like the the lean meats to their dogs, <laughs> right? And they would eat the fattier parts and uh, yeah. the much more nutritious organs. Uh, keep them for themselves. So right. even though it seems like something you might never want to eat, it's it's actually extraordinarily nutritious. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even just starting to include a little bit of liver in your diet once yeah. a week can do a massive amount of good. Yeah, I, so, I think... Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think to just touch on the, on the liver side of things, you know, when I was growing up when i was about nine or ten we would have liver once a week and it seems to you know we we have definitely gone away from that and and particularly in the uk now it's almost seen as a little bit like a delicacy so this whole kind of nose to tail eating that's coming back i think is very very important but people are not aware of that are they they're not aware of that kind of style of eating no but if they're foodies they they naturally kind of gravitate that way like they'll go to the people who are foodies or into cooking um Mm -hmm. it's so easy for them for me to work with folks who know how to cook and who are really into food because they'll they'll often be like oh i love liver you mean i can have liver pate for lunch and it's gonna be good for me and they'll just just be like those are the folks that have the fastest and most profound health turnarounds mm-hmm. when they start understanding what, you know, Oh, this lean stuff and, you know, no salt and everything that I've been sort of enduring um, <laughs> for, for years, just because I thought yeah. it was healthy. I can a bit forget about all that and just go with the flow of what I've been wanting all along. Yeah. Um, and that's how, you know, that's, that's the real, I guess the real benefit of growing up in a household where somebody um, loves cooking because mm-hmm. if you grow up in a household like that, you have this huge advantage of being exposed to better food and better yeah. nutrition and real and develop a real healthy, natural appetite for real nutrition. Mm. I grew up with an appetite for sugar <laughs> and <laughs> calories, you know, like I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't even think carrots tasted good. I thought they tasted like cardboard. But <laughs> once I started getting rid of those vegetable oils, which were inflaming my brain, yeah. including the appetite centers of my brain, preventing me from being able to enjoy real nutrition as mm-hmm. taste, 
um, it was a whole new world of flavor opened up to me. And that's like the, the fun part of it, right? Like the downside is, okay, yeah. So you have to think about food differently and change a lot of habits. That's hard. But the upside is you're going to actually enjoy eating extremely healthy foods. And you're not, I'm not going to say you're going to crave them because I don't really find myself craving, having cravings anymore. (laughs) So, I mean, I, I hate to, to say that I'm taking away your cravings. I'm I'm not (laughs) like you can still crave whatever you want. It's just that you are going to be in control. You know, once you eliminate the sugar cravings, you have so much more control, especially if you're a sugar addict. A lot of people aren't, and they go more for like the starchy, salty stuff. Mm. But regardless, once you get those vegetable oils out of your diet, you're going to find that you have so much more control over your eating habits and and your cravings are going to be working for you because you might be like preparing dinner and you're like, well, I don't have time to make a salad, but you know what, while I'm, while I'm making my hamburger, I'm just going to peel a carrot and chomp on that. And it's actually tasty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is the, t- the change in the taste buds. I know about eight years ago when I started switching my diet, you know, I can really taste now when there's a, a small amount of sugar in something, um, and I, you 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 get that taste, uh, you get that taste, and your taste buds back, and you can taste how the food is supposed to taste. And I think um, the the other thing that you mentioned there around cravings, there's a big difference between cravings and what you fancy. And I think to kind of maybe elaborate a little bit on your point around cravings, I think we all fancy sweet stuff at some stage. But there's a very big difference between fancying something and, and craving something. Because like you said, cravings are uncontrollable. And I know I've had this in the past when my diet wasn't on point. Like there is nothing that is going to stop you from eating that chocolate or eating that whole, you know, I, I went through a stage where I actually would eat the kids Easter eggs. Like I had no kind of hold bar. <laughs> I would chow into that and eat it with no disregard for the fact that I was going to upset the kids. And so that's the difference between fancying something and craving something. And I think, you know, when you take this, the sugar out of your diet and you eat the, what I call the nutrient dense foods, you, that you don't have the need for that anymore. Exactly. And, and that's like the real victory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, once, once you get there, then it's way not about willpower anymore. Yeah. It's about planning and, um, you know, having the food in your house so that when you come home from a long day at work, if we ever all get back to work, um, you have, <laughs> the, you know, the energy, um, yeah. and the skill to be able to make yourself a whip up a quick dinner. Mm, definitely. So you mentioned there about, um, the fact that you use Scotland as an example where they grow their oats and stuff like that. And, and, I really want to get your views on this and that is around veganism and and the how popular it's become and and how a lot of people are citing how it's this kind of holy grail and I, now I think there's two things for this the one side of it is obviously the environmental side of it which I, I think you can kind of put to one side because if people want to do veganism because of that then absolutely that's what you should do But this whole notion around the fact that meat is bad and, you know, just a complete plant based is the way to go. There's never there's never a one kind of a one sided view or approach to any kind of 
food or diet protocol. Um, and I believe it's a high level. And you mentioned soil. And I believe that for me, it's about the way that food is farmed. And I think we have over farmed or are over farming, whether that's meat, whether that's vegetables or fruit or the rest of it. Do, do you agree or disagree with that? Because I think there's less nutrients in the, the soil and the earth, which the cattle are grazing on or the food is grown in now. Yes. And then that's a huge problem, right? Uh, uh, Michael Pollan, who um, is an American writer, he wrote a book called The Botany of Desire and um, In Defense of Food. He uses a term called the notional vegetable, like a notional tomato. It looks like a tomato, but right. it doesn't really smell or taste like a real tomato should. And yes, this is due to the fact that we don't pay attention to the soil enough. Uh, we, we don't, we just want to produce something, tomatoes that all look the same, that can ship over long distances, that yeah. can be picked unripe and ripen on a truck. I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah that's it makes it another tough, uh, you know, what another thing that makes it tough to be a vegetarian or a vegan is that at least the meat, even though they suffer, the animals that we produce still suffer literally. And they, you know, they suffer from the same kind of, they're not as nutritious either as mm -hmm. they should be um, or could be, but they're still far more nutritious than our vegetables now. So right. it's really, really uh, hard for someone who wants to avoid eating animals to get all the nutrition uh, unless they're basically growing stuff themselves, you yeah. know, or um, that you, you, you end up having to supplement quite a bit and the right. supplements may not be as effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, such a thing. So on the topic of environmental health, I, I don't like this idea that um, like the vegans have cornered the market on what's good for the environment because right. I don't think you can really talk about the uh, what's good for the environment without talking about making the soil healthier. And, and yeah. the vegans don't do that. Um, but there is a, a movement called regenerative farming and regenerative ranching where okay. they, yeah, if you haven't heard of it, you will love it because okay. um, this is like the only uh, hope basically. <laughs> <laughs> for, for um, having a dramatic impact on the carbon issue, because it, it actually, if you farm a uh, ranch this way, you can actually extract so much carbon out of the air that yeah. if everybody adopted it, we could reverse our um, carbon count, CO2 counts down to what they were before the industrial era, supposedly. Wow. I mean, it's just a massive, it's a massive change in our farming practices to be sure, yep. but it would make the animals healthier. It would make the product taste better. It would make the animals happier. I mean, they mm -hmm. get to be outside and, and running around in herds and getting exercise and sunshine. So it's just like, it's an all around win-win kind of scenario. Yep. And what I don't like is the vegans who would just reflexively shut it down because no, no, you can't do that for whatever their belief system has to, happens to be. And there's two really strong ones. The the idea that saturated fat is unhealthy and animal, animal protein is somehow not healthy. Yeah. Um, and, and the environmental thing, but those are two fallacies that um, mm. are, are really preventing any kind of progress in 
producing better food for uh, for the world. This yeah. isn't just a localized problem in this country. It's all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree. I, I think, though, one of, one of my views is that I think it's the Western world because if you go back, like you said before, if you go back to what we class as kind of third world, whilst from an economic standpoint, those countries are very, very challenged, they are farming how we used to farm many generations ago. So I think they are potentially in a slight, obviously providing they have a food chain and there is you know food available, but when they do have it, I believe that they are much better placed to get more nutrient dense food than the Western world. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just a, just a view from my side, but that's kind of what I feel. But when we're talking about obviously supplementation, as you mentioned there, what is your view on supplementation if you are eating a healthy balanced diet? Do you think it's necessary or do you think it's an, depends on an individual basis? Uh, yes, it's necessary and depends on the individual, right? So um, I think because the soil has been depleted, it's basically impossible to get the dose of vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients that we actually need in order to be optimally healthy. So I always recommend people do a, a small little regimen of vitamins, mostly vitamins and minerals to cover their bases a little bit. So yeah. I, I have recommendations in the fat burn fix and also on my website, as far as the supplements that I recommended how to cover your bases, but yeah. it's really just getting supplementing with vitamins and minerals and not supplementing with like loads of other bits and pieces of food. Because in my mind that dissects what could have been healthy food and makes it less healthy, right? So people yeah. are doing all kinds of like weird stuff like pea protein or, um, you know, pycnogenol, which came from some bark of some tree or um, extracts of this or that fruit. And, uh, you know, be, it's just insanity. And we're taking basically decent food there and turning it into uh, pretty much worthless for the most part um, stale powders. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm not very popular with people who actually sell supplements, but, <laughs> uh, but the, that's the biochemistry, uh, of the reality of just processing. It never adds nutrition, no. but I think we've got this idea since we saw, um, Tang commercials in the, like I grew up in the seventies and there were these commercials for this orange powdered flavored drink that right. was basically just sugar and orange flavor and some vitamin C added after the fact. Um, and supposedly they brought it into space for the astronauts to eat. And somehow we have this idea that it concentrates the nutrition, right? That's what Madison Avenue has done to our minds that when we take a natural plump ripe fruit or any actual piece of food and we run it through some tubes and things in a factory and ended up putting it into a powdered container or a pill, somehow we've concentrated the best stuff and gotten rid of all the empty calories. And yeah. um, but that's not at all what happens. It, it, we've basically converted it in, from something healthy into something not not worth very much. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like you say, the the supplement industry is a very interesting industry. And again, that's a whole other can of worms that we could open and disappear off down Mm. into, to be honest. Um, I I believe truly that supplementation uh, is is necessary um, for, you know, for the the, just for them from how food is produced. Um, But I don't believe that it's I believe that it has to be in a bioavailable form in its individual um state if you like and not mixed together with with other supplements that's my kind of belief and like i say i'm not a practitioner or anything like that but to me that seems more logical Mm. um so yeah it's interesting one but dr kate before we wrap up today i know it's been a a really interesting and fascinating conversation um i could talk to you all day so but obviously we can't do that but before we wrap up what would you say for people listening would be the five key actions that you would recommend that they could take away today to start kind of making a change to, you know, this, their diets that, 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 that you know, that we, we are presented with right now in, in, in terms of the fats and the sugars. For sure. So, um, yeah, in, in the fat burn fix, I actually lay out five steps that'll pretty much get you there. <laughs> okay to health. And so, uh, the first step is, uh, to swap out the toxic seed oils for whole food based real, um, fats. Yeah. Um, the second one is to, uh, swap out the refined sugars and flours, um, that give your body sugar and raise your blood sugar carbohydrates. We call them sometimes for, um, whole food based carbohydrates that will not raise your blood sugar or affect your insulin. So for example, instead of white flour and bread made from white flour, I recommend sprouted grain bread. And we talked about that. It's one of the pillars. Um, The third thing I recommend is drink water because, you know, it'll, it'll help you uh, in so many ways that then I elucidate what they are. But for one thing, it gets you off of, hopefully it gets you off of a soda habit or, you know, juice habit which has just so many people get two, three, 400 calories of empty calories every single day from that. And the fourth is seek salt because the idea that salt is unhealthy is itself an unhealthy idea. Right. Salt's really the scapegoat for why is junk food unhealthy, right? But, um, you know, so like when doctors think of why are chips unhealthy, the best answer they're going to give you usually is, well, it's got salt in it. But that's actually, <laughs> salt is the only thing that's healthy about chips. Yeah. Um what's really unhealthy is the the seed oils that are in there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so after, so, and, and your body can handle like a ton of salt because if you eat too much salt, it, you'll just end up peeing it up. So right. there's no way you can hurt yourself with too much salt unless you, you have, um, totally dysfunctional kidneys and you're like you're on dialysis or you're in heart failure and you, but right. at that point you have to restrict everything. Um, so, and then the fifth thing is, um, supplement with, um, vitamins and minerals, right? Cause like I say, and you say, um, it's not in the soil, it's not in our food. So yeah. we absolutely yep. need to, um, get ourselves like cover our bases. And I, I give, I do give people some guidance on, how to tell based on their diet, what they're most likely deficient in that's going to be the most important to supplement. So they don't have to swallow everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause you could, that can be a minefield in itself in about 50 or 60 different supplements. So yeah, that's amazing. That's great, simple advice that people can follow. So before I wrap up then, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel like I should have asked you, which would benefit the people listening? 
Um, yeah, I guess if you had asked, do do folks have to uh, worry about their cholesterol levels if their cholesterol is high? The answer is no. And um, the you know the in this country, uh, something close to twenty percent of adults are taking statins to lower wow. their cholesterol, and those are pretty toxic drugs, and yeah. they also do some damage to your body. Um, yeah. So that's that's really why. Like I don't I don't agree with the practice of prescribing statins to, uh, to just anyone with high you know, and I don't believe it's based on their high cholesterol intake. It's based on whether or not they smoke and eat seed oils. That, yeah. that's how they're going to benefit um, from uh, taking a cholesterol pill. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, again, that's a whole other topic that we could disagree <laughs> on. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, amazing how the, how bad those drugs are, the, the statins that I'm, I'm talking about. Um, yeah, so it's, and the whole cholesterol thing as well is, um, is uh, another interesting topic. So I really sincerely appreciate you coming on today with all of the, the stuff you're dealing with the pandemic. But how can people connect with you? Where can they find out more about you and all of your books? So go to drkate.com, which is my website. And that's um, doctor is D-R. Yep. And then Kate is with a C. And there's no okay. dot after doctor. So drcate.com. And I'll have, I have lots of information there. I've got shopping guides that are under the free resources um, tabs you can find. Yep. Um, and... Uh, information about you know the three different books that i've written so you can decide which one you need to rush out and get immediately <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well I, I like i said i'm two-thirds of the way through deep nutrition so i highly recommend that book and also you know the fat burning fix and you've got some fantastic resources on your website so uh, for the listeners they should definitely definitely check that out um, and all the links for your website and books and everything will be in the show notes so people can check that out there so Finally, thank you again uh, for coming on to the podcast today. I really appreciate uh, your time and look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.